Welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Podcast. We're a real community of people who are passionate about pursuing God and growing in our relationship with Him. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit northridge.org.au. Um, just while I'm getting ready, I, actually, I wanted to share two words before we get going on the message proper tonight. Um, the first one is one that Lucy had a little bit earlier. I'm going to do my best to get this one right, so sorry if I get it totally wrong. But um, So uh, it was this picture of like when you make a mosaic, you sort of have to cut the pieces down to shape so that they fit, so that you can get that repeating pattern. Um, but then when you have a puzzle, all of the pieces are actually different shapes and like no two pieces actually fit where they don't belong. Um, but you don't have to change the shape of the puzzle piece. And the word is that everyone here, there is no one here who is supposed to be a piece of a mosaic. You don't, you're not supposed to be um, cut into shape and made to fit. Um, you're meant to come as you are. You're meant to bring you and your own relationship with God. And so like, we don't actually need more of me in this church because there's already one and that's plenty. Like, we don't need another Jen in this church because Jen's, you know, Jen, Jen's great, but we don't need more than one. Like, we need you to bring you, and we don't need you to feel like you're supposed to fit into a place that you don't fit. So um, just want to encourage you, if that resonates with you, then just receive that word. Like, you don't need to be someone else. Like, you need to be you, and you need to be you with God in this place. So that's number one. Um, and then the second one is... Um, just thinking about this year, I just really feel like this year there are going to be a whole bunch of people in this community who are going to be really activated into the full potential of what ministry means for them. Um, I feel like so often when we think about ministry, we think about people in paid ministry. But the reality is that if you have been a Christian for two seconds, then you already have a ministry in the kingdom. And it looks different for every single person. There's that mosaic puzzle piece thing. It's all fitting together. Um, Yeah, like if you have been a Christian for two seconds, then you have a ministry. And this year, God really wants to take, um, well, he wants to take all of us, but there's some of us in particular. He wants to take you so much deeper into your relationship with him so that you'll be activated in a new level in your ministry in the kingdom. So bring it on. So Lord, yeah, we just want to pray for um, anyone who receives either of those two words, Lord. Um, We just want to pray that... um, for those of us that feel like we, we need to change ourselves to fit in more, Lord, we just want to break that lie of the enemy. and We want to just release people to come as they are and to bring their own unique um, relationship with you, Lord. And for anyone um, who's just, who feels like they're sitting in the sidelines, who's just ready to go, Lord, just want to ask that you would just be activating um, and transforming hearts, even tonight, Lord. Um, and we pray these things in your son's mighty name. Amen. Amen. How good. How good. All right. So um, tonight, first service of 2016. <laughs> I'm doing really well. I, I got the, I got the, this, the nine upside down. Um, first service of... Yeah, it says there's a thing on my page that says 2016. So it's... Anyway, um, that's my excuse. Let me start that again. First service of 2019... <laughs> How exciting is that? Um, it's really fun um, to kind of be kicking off the new year. And we, as we're kicking off the new year, um, Jen and I were praying about what we want to talk about. Um, and we really felt like we wanted to do a series that is super foundational 
um, that helps us go back to the starting place. Um, you know, when you look at Jesus' ministry on earth, the thing that really, like the thing that powered and drove his ministry along is the fact that, and we're going to talk about this in a bit more detail soon, but the thing that really powered his ministry forward was the fact that he spent so much time alone with his Father in heaven. It's the thing that, that drove it all forward, and I think we need to replicate that. You know, it all starts in the secret place. No one else can do your relationship with God for you. You have to be the one that is seeking out God in the quiet when no one else is, is watching. It's only then that God, that God can really mold and shape you to do incredible things for his kingdom. Um, so we want to talk, the, the series we're looking at is called Finding Your Rhythms. And it's all about developing these spiritual habits, these spiritual disciplines or rhythms that help us um, to engage with God um, and, and be, be empowered to serve him fully. Um, and tonight, specifically, we're going to be talking about um, how to do that through the scriptures. Um, but I want to do, I want to do like a bit of like an experimental way of doing things tonight. I did this a few months back, and I think it worked pretty well. Um, I want to kind of split this into message into two like mini talks. So the first one is um, kind of really setting up the the background and, and the why of this series, because I, I think I particularly just really feel strongly that this is um, the right word for our community at this point in time. Um, so, and that's going to be a little bit more conceptual. That's like, where does this whole thing come from? What are we talking about when we talk about rhythms? And why is it so important? Um, and also, where does it come from in Scripture? Which is also extremely important. Um, but then we're going to get super, super, super practical. Um, so if you're like a, a really hands-on practical kind of person, you'll love it. Because um, we're going to talk about how to get deep into the Word. So, sounds good? Yeah. Brilliant. Everyone's on board. Um, to begin with, I kind of want to, I want to sort of help you understand what is the problem that we're trying to solve here as we do this series. Like, what's the question that we're actually answering, and why does this teaching on rhythms, why does it matter? Um, and I don't know if you can relate to this, um, but when, when people would ask me how I'm going um, last year, you know the, the, that conversation, oh, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Cool. Um, what, what, what I would often say is I love to give really honest answers um, in those kind of uh, interactions. But what I would often say, and this, it was obviously very true, is I'd just say, look, I'm doing well, but I kind of just feel like I've just got way too many balls up in the air at the moment. Can you relate to that? Do you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of like life sometimes. It's like this sort of juggling act, and you've got one ball in the air, and that's family. Like you want to do family really well. You want to honor God and the way you do your family relationships. And then you've got another ball in there, and that's work. You know, you want, to, um, you want to really invest. You don't just want to turn up and do your hours. You actually want to turn up and, and give yourself um, properly to work. And then you've got church. You know, you want to invest and you want to love your church community. And then you've got, um, you know, your friendships. And then you've got your, your own personal relationships. And you've just got all of these different things up in the air, and it's like all of them are good, but it just feels like you've just got too many to keep in the air. And it's, it sucks. It's exhausting trying to hold all of these different things at the same time. And I wonder if you can relate to that. And how do you solve that problem, that kind of just feeling of being totally overwhelmed and trying to keep 
too many balls up in the air at the same time. Well, society gives us two possible ways to go with that problem. The first one is it says, you're feeling exhausted, you're feeling overwhelmed, things aren't totally working for you. What you need to do is take your hands out, drop all the balls, and go somewhere else. Opt out. Maybe that means um, you move to another country. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing in itself, but it is if it's an escape. Or you bury yourself in Netflix. Or you turn to an addiction, like alcohol or porn. I don't have to tell you that that's probably not a helpful response to the condition of modern life. But then on the flip side, and this is probably what um, many of us do, um, particularly if you're a Christian and you really want to try and um, you know, be honourable, is you sort of just, just keep on soldiering on. You put on your brave face, you're like, okay, life is insanely overwhelming, I can't deal with it, but I'm just going to keep on pushing through and hope that I don't, somehow don't explode. And having done that many times in my life, I can tell you it's not sustainable. And I do not recommend that solution either. What I'm kind of getting at, um, and where I'm leading is, I'm going to get my like, psychology nerd on. If you haven't met me before, I studied psychology. I don't often get to use my degree in my current life, uh, but this is going to make it all worth it. Um, I think you have to go two slides forward to get to this one. Uh, there's this thing called the Yerkes-Dodson Law. It's, it's actually surprisingly profound. So what these, what these guys, Yerkes and Dodson, they set out in the early 1900s to establish the relationship between stress and performance. And, and it's, it's funny because you see this relationship prop, uh, uh, crop up all the time as you go through your life. Now, the most probably obvious application of this would be in a workplace. Um, you know, the relationship between how much stress you have and your workplace performance. But in this particular context, I want to suggest that this kind of stress performance relationship also exists in our lives and in the way that we try and live out our lives as Christians specifically. You know, I think it might be really tempting on one hand to think that if you want to maximize your effectiveness um, in your walk with God, if you want to get the most out of life, then the best situation is to be in is to have absolutely no stress, no responsibility, nothing to worry about, so you can just focus on God. You know what? There's, there's a time and a place for that, but it turns out that most of the time, um, that's actually not the optimal place to be. And um, on the next slide, you'll see that if you, um, if you spend too much of your life there with no responsibility, um, no stress, you end up feeling this sense of purposelessness I think I just made up a word. Um, but you, it's, it's really, you know, I think responsibility and your sense of purpose go hand in hand. And if you try and avoid all responsibility or stress in your life, you're probably um, going to end up feeling a little bit maligned. And that's not helpful. I probably don't need to explain to you why it's not helpful living on the other end of the spectrum because no one likes being unbelievably stressed and tired all the time. Um, and the place that if you spend too much time there, the place you end up in is burnout. And burnout sucks. I don't recommend it. So, presumably, the, best opt the optimal place to be is somewhere in the middle. The most sustainable way to live is to, um, is to find that middle ground um, where you have enough keeping you going, um, but you're not totally overwhelmed. How on earth 
Do you go about finding that balance? I want to I want to kind of just illustrate this in a really simple way, and then we'll we'll dig into some scripture. Um, but I want to take you back to that juggling analogy. Now I cannot juggle to save my life, but I have it on good authority from people who can. That if you just throw a ball up in the air and then throw another one and then another one and try and somehow catch them and return them to the air, you're not going to be able to juggle for very long. It doesn't work. What you need to do is if you want to be able to keep a whole bunch of different balls or other objects in the air at the same time, you need to find and establish a rhythm. You, you pass the ball from one hand to the other and then up into the air. And then as you're doing that, you catch another one. And it's only in finding this rhythm that we're actually able to sustain the competing demands of juggling or, in this case, modern life. So where... Do we find this in the scriptures? You know, we talk talking about rhythms. It doesn't doesn't seem to be like a very Christian word or like something that we talk about a lot in church. And so, where's the where's the kind of scriptural base? Well, you don't actually have to read very far through the Bible to find this sense of rhythm. In fact, in Genesis one, what we discover is that God actually formed creation in to be extremely cyclic. You know, we have night and day. We have seasons, we have years, the earth goes around the sun, the earth turns. And if God made the universe to operate in rhythms, then why would we be any different? Um, Go one book over to the book of Exodus and have a look at the way that God sets up the, um, the law and particularly look at the Hebrew calendar. It's really interesting. He sets up all these sets of rhythms for the, for the, um, for the Israelite nation so that they can have this sense of rhythm uh, in their whole nation. We have this pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. We have all of these religious festivals that are set up to mark different times of the year, different seasons, and to remember all that God has done for the Israelite people. Every seven years, they'd have a Sabbath year, and then every seven Sabbath years, they'd have a year of Jubilee, which is where they all got together, they all had a massive party, um, all the slaves got free, and they came back to God, and it was all very wonderful. And then you keep going through the Bible, and I want to suggest that probably the person who illustrates this, uh, this dynamic best is the person who probably had the most stressful job out of anyone in the Bible, and that's Jesus himself. I like to think that my job can get pretty stressful sometimes, but compared to being the Son of God and the Savior of the world, I think I have it off pretty easy. So I want to actually, I'm just going to read a short section of uh, Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read from the message version. And the context for this passage is Jesus has just discovered that his cousin, John the Baptist, who he loves dearly, has been murdered. And understandably, he's not too happy about this. So starting from verse 13... It says, when Jesus got the news about John the Baptist, he slipped away by boat to an out-of-the-way place by himself. But he was unsuccessful. Someone saw him and the word got around. Soon, a lot of people from nearby villages walked around to the lake to where he was. When he saw them coming, he was overcome with pity and healed their sick. Towards evening, the disciples approached him. We're out in the country and it's getting late. Dismiss the people so they can go to villages and get some supper. But Jesus said, there's no need to dismiss them. You give them supper. The disciples said, we 
All we have are five loaves and, uh, of bread and two fish. Jesus said, bring them here. Then he had the people sit on the grass. He took five loaves and two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to his, his disciples. The disciples then gave the food to the congregation. They all ate their fill. They gathered 12 baskets of leftovers, and about 5,000 were fed. As soon as the meal was finished, he insisted that the disciples get in the boat to go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the people. With the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so that he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. Meanwhile, the boat was far out to sea when the wind came up against them and they were battered by the waves. About four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. They were scared out of their wits. A ghost, they said, crying out in terror. But Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. Peter, suddenly bold, said, Master, if it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come ahead. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and started to sink. He cried, Master, save me. Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down and grabbed his hand. Then he said, Faint heart, what got into you? The two of them climbed into the boat and the wind died down. The disciples in the boat, having watched the whole thing, worshipped Jesus, saying, This is it. You are God's son for sure. On return, they beached the boat at Gennesaret. When the people got wind that he was back, they sent out word throughout the neighborhood and rounded up all the sick who asked for permission to touch the edge of his coat. And whoever touched him was healed. So what's just happened here? We have Jesus learns about the death of his cousin and close friend. He goes into a quiet place ostensibly to mourn, but someone catches wind of the fact that he's there Um, 5,000 men turn up, and most commentators suggest it's 5,000 men plus whatever women and children. So there's a lot of people coming to be ministered to by Jesus. But rather than push them away and say, guys, I actually need a bit of space here, he has compassion on the crowd. He ministers to them, he teaches them, and he feeds them. Now, I love the community dinners that we do here so much. They're one of the best things that I think we do to draw us together as a community. They're so much fun. But feeding 70 people is a lot of work. I just cannot imagine how exhausted Jesus must have been emotionally after feeding 5,000 potentially more people. It's a big job. And so after feeding them, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, guys, I want you to cross over to the lake that way. I've got my own transport solution for this one. Um, you, guys, you guys head out that way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch up with you a little bit later. And so he sends them on his way, and he stays late into the night, spending one-on-one time with Father God. Um, then he, uh, he, he walks across the water, and he meets them uh, halfway across the lake. And he has some really quality one-on-one time with his disciples, and then when, he, when they get to the other side, he's, he's, had, he's had some time with his friends, he's had some time alone with God, and he's ready to minister again. Do you see the cycle? Do you see this pattern? And if you keep reading through the Gospels, you realize that Jesus has these really effective patterns of ministering to people, 
spending time with his closest friends, spending time alone with God and repeat. You know, Jesus, if Jesus has these, these patterns, these rhythms that he's built into his life to sustain him on what must have been an extremely demanding ministry, how can we expect to live our lives effectively if we don't do the same? And so I want to ask you to consider that right now. What are the different balls you've got up in the air? What are the, what are the different parts of your life that you're trying to juggle? Because the reality of life is that we're going to have things and demands that compete for our attention. What are the different things in your life? And how can you build effective rhythms with those things so that you can sustain it? So you don't end up on the burnout side of the, uh, of the chart and you don't end up on the, um, on the isolation side of the chart. You don't end up purposeless. And how are you building in healthy spiritual habits and just disciplines that allow you to have that late-into-the-night experience like Jesus had with God? How are you sustaining your spiritual walk? Because God is the source of all energy. He's the source of all of our courage. He's the one that sustains us. So how can we expect to do life well if we're not giving time to being refreshed by the ultimate refresher? So this series is all about going through some of these different spiritual disciplines and habits that we can build into our life rhythms that allow us to keep coming back to God day after day, week after week, year after year. Next week, Katie's going to be talking to us about prayer, which will be a lot of fun. Um, the week after, MJ's going to be talking about Sabbath and how that um, and what it means to do Sabbath in this day and age. Uh, and then I'm really excited, Kath Henry is going to be talking about self-reflection the final week which is going to be really awesome. Um, but tonight, we're going to be talking about the Scriptures. And so we're going to get super, super practical. And I want to start this, this, this sort of second half of the talk um, chatting about the Scriptures. I want to ask you a potentially slightly uncomfortable question. And the question is this. Honestly, how often do you read the Bible? Don't have to answer it out loud or, or, or anything. Just in your head. Honestly, how often do you read the Bible? Would, would you say A, like daily or, or almost daily? B, weekly or, or thereabouts? C, probably closer to monthly? Or D, less than monthly? What is your honest answer to that question? Now, if you answered A or B, hang on, no, I got that the wrong way around. If you answered C or D, so like, um, le- basically less than weekly, then you, according to a study done two years ago um, in the US, then you are part of 65% of the church. According to this particular research, and depending on which research you read, the numbers are all a little bit different, but around about 65% of committed churchgoers read the Bible um, once a week or less. And it, it concerns me a little bit, but it doesn't totally surprise me and the reason for that is because, if I'm honest, the Bible is actually a pretty hard book to take on. I mean, it's quite long. And if you haven't been equipped with how to read it, it can be really difficult to form an effective Bible reading habit. And so why, as Christians, 
Um, if you believe in Jesus, why is it so important to get into this book? You know, there is, there is so much information at your fingertips at any given moment to learn as much as you could possibly learn about God. Why do you need to get into the Bible? Well, there's three key reasons for that. The first one is this book is the Word of God. The Bible is given to us by God himself. The Bible is how we know what we know about God. It is the source of all of our knowledge on him. And so with that in mind, it's pretty important that we get into this book. And you know, why wouldn't you want to go straight to the source to learn about the king of the universe? He wants to reveal himself to us through the scriptures. And so why would we rely on someone else's interpretation of the scriptures when we can, we can dig into it for ourselves? I'm not saying it's bad to read other things than the Bible. I'm just saying it's so good to get into, go straight to the source for this stuff. The second reason I think it's so important is because the Bible is the yardstick by which we measure our Christian experience. You know, if someone gives you a prophetic word and you just, it doesn't quite sit right, probably the best place to go with that is the Scriptures. And ask yourself, does, this, does what I've just heard line up with the Scriptures? If you're listening to a message on a Sunday or maybe a podcast during the week and someone says something and you're just like, I'm just not sure how I feel about that. The best place to go is straight to the Scriptures and just see what they have to say. The Scriptures are the, the measuring stick that we can use to measure our Christian experience. And finally, and this has certainly been my experience, the, the Bible is not just information. It is God's living Word. It's, it's the, he, he communicates so freely to us through the Bible. And you know what? You can read the same passage of Scripture a thousand times across your lifetime, and you, God can speak something different from that same passage every single time. You know, God wants to encounter us through the Bible. And so why wouldn't we want to get into the habit of reading this book? And so for me personally, um, the Scriptures is probably the place that I encounter God more than anywhere else. I just love digging into the Word, and I feel closest to God when I just, I'm, I'm in the Scriptures and I have some incredible revelation. Um, and I just feel so, so close to God when I read the Bible. And so what I want to do um, to finish up, just for the last uh, few minutes, is I want to get super practical, and I want to share my five top tips for getting a good Bible reading habit going. Um, and these are, these are all, this is all my personal experience. This is not um, like the official five, but I just... I just want to share my, my heart for the scriptures with you. Um, and the first thing I want to say is that if you want to get to know the Bible, then context, context is critical. And there should be a slide for each one of these as well. Um, so the first one is that context is absolutely critical. Now, the first thing in, in regards to the context is if you want to read a single passage of scripture, like a single verse, it's really helpful to know the larger story of the Bible and how what you're reading fits into that. Um, knowing the narrative from A to B and everything that happens in between is actually really helpful for understanding even the smallest details in the Bible. Now, if you're not familiar um, with the larger story of the Bible, that can be a great place to start your, your Bible reading journey. If you jump onto YouTube, there are a whole bunch of really good five to ten minute videos. Just search something along the lines of, you know, the Bible in five minutes. And there's a whole bunch of really well put together videos that sort of take you through the whole narrative. Another resource, and for me, this is, I feel like this is where my Bible reading journey kind of really got kick-started. I read this book called Storylines by Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft. 
and it kind of traces some of the key different threads through the Bible and helps you see how it all fits together. And for me, it was having that big picture understanding of the Bible started to make all the individual verses that I was reading make so much more sense. It's also really helpful, as well as knowing the big picture of the Bible, if you're reading a particular passage of Scripture to know the context of the book that you're reading. Um, the way that I like to read the Bible, um, and if you don't do this, then it could be good to give this a go. The way I like to read the Bible is book by book. So start at the beginning of, um, of the book of John and then read through the book of John. And it's really helpful to, to read some kind of introduction so that you know what the main themes and the context of the book is. If your Bible has little um, book introductions, I highly recommend you read that before you get stuck into a book. The other resource that's really good uh, is there's a, a group called The Bible Project. And they have a short video introduction to every single book of the Bible on YouTube. And so if you're going to start reading a book, watch The Bible Project intro first. They're so helpful for understanding what's going on. My second top tip for getting into your Bible is that you don't have to understand everything on the first go. It turns out that if you read through the scriptures, every now and then you'll come across a verse. You won't understand it. And then you look up some of the best commentaries written by some of the brightest academics and theologians in the world. And effectively what they're saying in their commentaries is, I have no idea what this is about. <laughs> it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. I've come across a few of those passages. And so... If the best and brightest theologians and academics in the world don't understand everything, then how can we expect to understand everything? You know, and the other thing is that, um, as I alluded to before, the, Bi the Bible has like layers upon layers upon layers of meaning. And so if you come across something that, just, that you're just struggling to wrap your head around, then you can do two things. The first one is look up a commentary, and more often than not, they do know what they're talking about. Um, or, or secondly, keep reading, because maybe God wants to highlight something else to you. And it's also helpful to know that there are some parts of Scripture that just are harder to read than others. You know, if you're wanting to get into the Scriptures, I probably wouldn't start with the book of Numbers. <laughs> I'd probably recommend you start in the Gospels, um, because they're, they're stories, they're really easy to read, and they're so foundational to everything we believe. Third hot tip for getting into your Scriptures is... Try a different translation. I had this really interesting um, chat with someone recently, and they said that they don't read the message version of the Bible because someone told them once that it's a bad translation. And it just kind of made me go, because the, the thing about Bible translations, and you may or may not know a lot about the science of Bible translation, but people translate the Bible differently for different purposes. So if you are trying to learn, uh, if, you, if you want a Bible that you can study and then you can get really deep into the nitty-gritty and into the wording, then you probably want a Bible that's been translated more or less word for word, that's really trying to render each Hebrew word. Now, if you've ever read like a literal, literal translation, they make almost no sense because translation, it turns out, is actually a little bit more complicated than just Hebrew word, English word, Greek word, English word. Um, and so if you do ever want a, a good laugh, try reading um, the Young's Literal Translation, which does provide a word-for-word -word translation. Um, but studying, studying something that's, that's uh, more word-for-word -word can be a really helpful way to get into the nitty-gritty. 
On the other hand, if you're wanting to read the Bible to get to know God, and if you're not necessarily wanting to pick apart the wording, um, then I highly recommend going a translation that's a little bit more thought for thought. So rather than saying, what is this word and how do I translate that? They'll take a phrase and they'll say, what is this passage of Scripture really trying to communicate in its context? And how can we give the best English um, version of that that makes sense for our culture? Um, And I've got this chart um, on the next slide, which um, you're welcome to take a little photo of. And it's got a few of the um, more common translations of the Bible. And so if you've been reading the message or the Passion Translation for a while and you feel that your Bible reading's sort of falling a bit flat um, or you're losing your mojo a little bit, then try the, an ESV or an NKJV um, for, a, for a change or maybe get into the New International Version, which is one of the most popular translations in the world. Um, on the flip side, if you've been reading a lot of NIV, then don't be afraid to have a read um, of the message or the Passion which is a little bit more liberal and a little bit more thought for thought. Um, We were chatting, Jen and I were chatting on the way here, and for Jen, it was really when she started getting into the message that it really started to unlock the Bible for her, which is really cool. So don't be afraid of trying a different translation. Um, My fourth tip is to form a habit that works for you. When I first became a Christian when I was about 13 years old, I had this this expectation or kind of like, um, idea in my head that I was supposed to read the Bible every night. And that's, that's certainly a, a good option if you can do that, but it didn't work for me on two levels. The first one is that I was really terrible at doing anything every single day, and I kind of felt a little bit guilty um, any day when I didn't read the Bible before going to bed. And then the other one is that I'm like definitely a morning person, and so reading the Bible at night was really difficult because I'd usually fall asleep after like two verses. Um, And it it took me way too long to realize that actually it's okay to read the Bible in a different way. Maybe you could try reading the Bible every morning. Or maybe you could try connecting your Bible reading with some other habit that you have in your life. For example, if you commute to work or to school five days a week, why not read the Bible on your way to school, on the bus or on the train? And just kind of pair those things together. I think it's also really important to say that It's not like an illegitimate way to engage with the Bible, to listen to it. Because, you know, for thousands and thousands of years, the main way that people encountered the Word of God was when they heard it. And so actually, if you drive to work every day, why not put on um, an audio Bible and engage with the Bible that way? And I know some people who actually prefer that um, to reading the Scriptures on a page. And my final and probably the most important piece of advice I can give you for getting into the Scriptures and forming this rhythm of reading the Bible is you're not supposed to do it on your own. And there's two things to say here. The first one is that reading and interpreting the Bible with other people is absolutely wonderful. It's one of the key reasons that we do midweek life groups. If you're not in a life group, I really want to encourage you to get involved in one. You know, I've been passionate in studying the Bible for years and years and years and years, um, but we have such awesome people in our life group. And I just find almost every week there'll just be some layer of meaning that I've missed in a passage, even that I know really well. So I love unpacking the Bible with other people. But almost more important than that is any time you sit down with the Scriptures, invite God into that space. You know, of course God wants you to be able to read and understand the Scriptures. And if you're, if you're struggling to get into the Bible or you're struggling to make it a habit, 
then do that journey with God. If you pray, God, help me to read the Bible, of course he's going to answer that prayer. He wants, he desires relationship with you. He wants to love you. He wants to engage with you here and now. And one of the best ways that he can do that is in the scriptures. And so you don't have to do it alone. Do it with the help of um, Holy Spirit because he loves to get into the scriptures with people. And I love getting into the scriptures with him. So I'm going to pray for us. Why don't we stand? If you find it helpful, then you can um, put your hands out like this. And it's just a posture of receiving. It's just a little physical way of saying, yep, God, I'm up for whatever you got for me. But you don't have to. We do all things by invitation here. Lord Jesus, I thank you that I thank you that you you knew how to do this. You knew how to live sustainably. God, you modeled for us what it means to do life well. And so, Lord, as we go into this year, God, I ask that you would you would help us um, to do this year well. And Lord, particularly for anyone who's just been feeling super overwhelmed or super anxious in the last 12 months, God, I just want to ask that there will be breakthrough and release from that. God, I want to ask that you would give us your supernatural strength and love to be able to do this journey well. And Lord, particularly as we seek to get into your word and into your scriptures, God, I want to ask that you would bring your word alive in this community, not just when we gather together, but in the secret place as well, Lord. Would you bring your word alive for us? Would we encounter you every single time we open the scriptures? Mm. And I want to thank you for the precious gift um, that this book is to us. Lord, that it's the measuring stick for our lives. Lord, that it's, it's such a source um, of goodness and encounter. And so, Lord, again, I just pray that you bring this book alive for us. And Holy Spirit, would you empower us um, to, to get into your, into your word? Lord, would you speak to us through it? Thank you, Lord. Now, I want to do ministry time a little bit differently tonight. Um, I kind of feel like this is one of those ones, this is one of those um, nights where it'd just be great for like everyone to get to play. Because, uh, you know, I don't, th- I, I might be wrong, but I don't think there's anyone here who wants to go backwards in 2019. Like, I kind of feel like we all want to go forwards with God this year, um, or we all want to go forward in our lives this year. And so what I would love to do is in a moment, uh, we're going to break into groups um, of either three or four people. And I really want to encourage you particularly um, to maybe if you see someone who's, who's new or who you don't know super well, then, then team up. And there's two, there's, well, you can pray for anything you want really, but there's kind of two really key things I think God wants us to pray for. Um, hey, Jen, can you put the, the, um, the, the frowny face graph back up? Um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like there's a bunch of us who have been sitting on um, either side of this, either side of this this um, model for the last 12 months, 
you know, either you're sitting in this place where you're like, I just feel really directionless and purposelessness, purposeless. Um, and then on the flip side, you've just been sitting in that place of just, just things are super, super full on and, um, and it just it won't stop and I just need a break and I need to find that sweet spot. Um, so if, if you've been sitting in either of those for the last 12 months, um, then be honest about it and with your little group, pray for it. Get in there. Uh, the second thing that I really feel like would be great to pray for is if... Um, so there's kind of two parts to this. One of them is if you want God to bring the Scriptures alive for you, if you just want to... You, you hear me talking about it and you're like, yes, I want that, but I don't have it, um, then we should pray for that and that would be awesome because that's a prayer that God really likes to answer. Um, so you can do that. But then also when I ask that question of how often do you read the Bible, if the first thing that you... Uh, felt was guilt, then we want to break that off because that's not God, that's the enemy. The enemy wants to take that thing, that sort of, it's like, oh, no, I need to read the Bible more and I'm, I'm not reading it enough. And if he's turning that into guilt and shame, then that's not God. So we want to break that off. So let's do it. Find a little group, three or four people, um, say good day to someone you don't know, and um, let's just pray for each other. And in a, in a couple of minutes, um, I'll, I'll wrap things up for us and we'll, um, we'll go have some supper and do some community time. Go.